0: morning, everyone. My name is Nikki Habecker. My husband and I serve on one of the deacon teams here. It's called To the World for the Sake of Christ. We just call it To the World because it's just so much easier to say it that way. Um, but we've been here for a number of years, and it's uh, my privilege to be up here today just sharing the Word of God with you. So this is really wobbly. Wow. Today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 40. Hi, Calvin. How you doing? And um, as I was thinking through this chapter, um, it's always fascinating, like when you pick something or you're offered something to speak on and you're like, yeah, I got this. It's not going to be a big deal. And then the Lord starts taking that word and begins digging it deeper and deeper into your heart because it's a word that you need to hear. So, as we know, tomorrow is the start of a new year, and we often look at that day as the time of a fresh start, and for me, it's become a ritual, like I take down my calendar and I put up a brand new one that has nothing on it. It's just such a beautiful feeling, and, you know, three days later, it's filled, but there's just something about it that it's like, this is a new start, it's something fresh, something, a new beginning, and often... For me, at least for the last couple of years, it's been a sense of relief um, to take down the old and put up the new, to say that what has happened in the past year is done, and it's time to begin again. And I would admit that, you know, I used to do a lot of New Year's resolutions. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week and, you know, start eating vegetables twice a day, you know, all of those But I realized that those resolutions usually fail by what? Week what? One, right? Or week two. And so I'm past the resolutions, um, but I'm not past the reflection. You know, looking back on what God has done. And there's a big difference, I think, in that. Because as I look towards resolution, oftentimes I'm thinking, oh, what can I do to make me better? I need to do this and this and this. But when I have reflection... I'm looking at what God has done in my life and how things have changed in me. So as you look at this old year, how are you looking at it? Are you glad that it's done or has it been a year of joy for you? When you look back, do you see lives uprooted, grief, loss of jobs, struggles with health, family, friends, finances? You know, one of the questions that we often ask ourselves in the middle of struggle and pain is where is God. And if we do see God in this. So this last semester I took a, a, um, a class on apologetics. Anybody know what apologetics is? It's a reasoned defense of the faith. You know, and I was okay like defending the cosmos, you know, that God created. I was okay with morality. I was okay with even the fact that there is desire in each one of us for something more. I really struggled with suffering and evil. If God is good, why does he allow evil? Why does he allow pain? And I even admit on my final exam, which was an essay exam, which I hate, um, because like I actually have to know what I'm talking about. I can't just like guess, you know, one out of four. I even said at the bottom of that, it's like, okay, I know this is the right answer, but I am still not there. And that was really a cool thing for me to be able to admit that I'm still not in that place where I see suffering as good. In the past couple of years, our family has experienced a lot of loss and a lot of grief. I have tissues, just FYI. And I'll remember to turn it off if I have to blow my nose. Um, But... What's happened in the last three weeks as I started looking at this, five people have come up to me, knowing my story, and they're saying, Nikki, where do you see God in all this? What's he teaching you? What's he showing you about himself and about you? Where is he leading you? And the first two people that asked me that, I was like, you have no right to ask me those questions. But by by the third person that asked me that question, It's like, hmm, I'm starting to see a pattern here. By the fourth person who asked me this question, I'm like, okay, sometimes I can be really an idiotic person, but I'm starting to get it. And by the fifth person who asked me, it's like, yeah, I think I need to begin looking at this. Where do I see God in all of this? And you know, we're in the middle of struggle when we're in the middle of pain. Um, Sometimes we don't have time to seek out that answer. Or sometimes we don't even want to seek out that answer. Because in seeking out that answer, we have to come to -to face-to-face with ourselves. With our own shortcomings. With our own brokenness. And even the lies that we've believed. So, as I read the Psalms, again and again, I read the words of people who are pouring out their anguish of souls to the Lord. And they are frighteningly honest about how they feel towards God but they always choose. They choose to remember and they choose to go publicly professing the goodness of God. It's a choice. And so with that, I'd like to open up by reading Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God many will see and fear, and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required, then I said, I've come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delayed in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help. And my deliverer, do not delay. Oh God. You know, most psalms start out with trouble. If you look at verses, you can just switch to another page and you'll see that it's God, oh God, vindicate me, oh God, protect me, oh God, help me. But this one starts out with praise. And ends, this one starts out with praise and ends with a plea for God to help and do it quickly. You know, oftentimes when I read the other psalms, it's more satisfying, right? I'm in a really bad place and God helps me. But here I start in a really good place. And by the end, I'm still pleading for God's help. Isn't that much more true to life? You know, we're on these mountaintops experiences. Maybe this year you've had some of those, but you've also had the valleys. And when we get into those places where disaster strikes or heartache strikes, we can either look to the mountain or we look down and we get stuck in hopelessness and helplessness and desperation. And we're in, when we're in the pit, it's very easy to grab onto anything, even as Christians. Like we all say, oh, you know, when I'm in a bad place, I trust in God. Mm. Well, we'll grab whatever we need to to get us out of that place. And David reminds us that those who put their trust in the Lord will be, will, will be protected. Those who do not follow after a lie. And It's easy to grab onto a lie. I can get out of this crisis alone. I don't need anyone. If only I work harder. Um, or it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. Or perhaps we just tell ourselves that little white lie that will get us over the hump so that we can move on into our faith. As we look at Psalms 40, we see that David lays out three areas of places that he has trouble. And in truth, I'd say that it's very true for all of us. Starting in verse 12, he talks about this. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. And then in verse 14, he talks about those who are constantly after him to shame him and to break him down. And so, as I was thinking through this, in verse Psalms of uh, verse 40, verse 12, um, it says, "For troubles without number have surrounded me." And I often think about that. You know, troubles do have a tendency to surround us. Um, when you just feel like you can't get a break. I was talking with a friend of mine on Friday, and they're good friends of ours. And as I look at their lives in the last six months, it's like where is the break going to happen for them? Um, was going blind. Uh, he needed a surgery, which God graciously allowed him to have and saved his, but and saved his vision. A few weeks later, he falls and breaks his ribs. Um, they lost a family member uh, to a suicide. You know, and they now are, are getting ready to lose their house because they thought they could stay there for a long time and they can't. So they're now they're in the middle of trying to find someplace else, troubles surround us. You know, and maybe you're looking at your own life and saying that same thing. Man, I just can't seem to catch a break. It seems like there's something always going on. It's not that you don't love God, right? It's not that you're not trying to be faithful, right? And the question that we ask ourselves in the middle of that is where is God? Where is God in all that? And oftentimes we do reach the breaking point. You know, maybe as parents of young children who just are constantly clamoring for our attention. Maybe you're an overworked business person. You know, you're running a business. Or you're working at a business that requires so much of your time. Maybe you're in school and you're taking too many classes. I don't know. Maybe there's stresses of illness and finances. Job loss. Broken relationships with family and friends, grief. Does it feel like these things overtake you? The second thing that David talks about is sin within himself. In verse 12, evils have encompassed me beyond number, and my iniquities overtake me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. David knows that one of his troubles is his sin. And the consequences of his sins. He has a toxic, noxious attitude that has overtaken him. And he can't see and he's scared. He feels that he cannot make it. And that's why David needs God's help. You know, so often I think we want deliverance from our sin. And our choices that we've made. And the introspection that often accompanies it. The fear, the guilt, the shame. What do we do with that? You know, the more I look at my own sins and shortcomings, the more I cannot see. Because when I'm looking here, I am not looking there. You know, we get to a place where we lose ourselves and we lose our identities. As we look internally to find what needs righted to make us whole. And we can become so bent under our self-introspection that we cannot receive forgiveness or we cannot give forgiveness or we cannot see ourselves as anything other than inadequate and we end up becoming hopeless and helpless and depressed because we cannot see you know the more i look at my life and the difficulties i run into (laughs) i realize that more often than not i'm the cause of it and I'm a very needy person. I need God's help every day. You know, David sees the trouble within himself and he sees the trouble without. And I think that it's beautiful how he keeps a balance in both of those. Um, and I think that that's one of the hardest places for us because it's usually a combination of those two things. The things that are pressing us from outside and the things that are pressing us on the inside. I love how David in this psalm simply just brings it to the Lord, and he says this in verse thirteen: "Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me; O Lord, make haste to help me." The third one that he talks about is slanderers in verses fourteen and fifteen. Let those who take who seek to take my life be disgraced and Let those who wish me harm be driven back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, be horrified because of their shame. Another trouble that we run into is people who slander us, the negative people who are around us. They wish you harm. You know, it might be coworkers. It might be neighbors. It might even be family that are constantly coming upon you and saying, aha, I want to see what I can do to you. And you're like, there's no reason why. I'm a nice person. Why are you doing this to me, right? But how do we deal with that? Well, there's two ways that we should deal with it. We can take it personally, which is what we often do, or we can take it to the Lord. And then taking it to the Lord, taking it prayerfully to Him. I find it so fascinating that that David in this chapter does not say, oh, God, like trash them for me. You know, he basically says, God, protect me and you deal with them. You know, these things happen to all of us at some point in our lives. It might be the things that are from the outside that are weighing us down. It might be the things that are inside that are beating us up. It might be that we are being slandered and we are stuck. In these pits, we are stuck in the muck and the mire, and we long to be freed. The amazing thing is that there is a way out of our pain and then out of our pit. And as much as I hate to say it, it's in the waiting. You know, somehow the pit tunes our hearts to God in ways that we would not normally experience. C.S. Lewis said this, pain insists... On being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. You know, I work, in the, I work in the health setting and the big thing right now is that if somebody has pain, we deal with it. As soon as I walk into somebody's hospital room, I have to ask them, how are you doing? What's your pain level? Because I want to deal with the pain. Well, basically it's just pharmaceuticals to deal with the pain but there's something about it isn't it that when we are in pain we can't deny that we can't deny it we can try to shelf it sometimes but it always comes back pain needs to be dealt with the second thing is that waiting is active it's not passive the Hebrew here says in waiting I waited for the Lord another translation said I waited and I waited and I waited We have a son, Cole, who's six years old. And we've got to spend eight glorious days with him over Christmas break. Two more days to go. (laughs) But it seems like every hour, Cole will come up and say, Mom, yes, buddy, I'm hungry. It's a good thing because he's six years old and 43 pounds. So it's a good thing that he's hungry. But... He'll come up and I'll say, buddy, just give me a minute. Let me finish up what I'm doing and I'll get you something. Two minutes later, mom, I'm waiting. (laughs) Yes, son, I know you're waiting. A couple minutes later, mom, I'm waiting patiently. That's not patient waiting. But that's what God is saying. And that's what David was doing. I waited and I waited and I waited. But it's active. It's not passive. Waiting means that we cry out for deliverance to him. You know, until we get past our own skill set and our ability to fix it, we do not see ourselves as needy and afflicted. We don't cry out until we have no other choice. It's in the waiting. Waiting means trusting him alone, not my own help, Not my own solutions, not me trying to dig myself out, but getting to the place where I trust him alone. Waiting means recounting God's faithfulness. You know, when we're in the midst of pain and hurt, it does give us time to think. But we get to choose our own thoughts. God has abandoned me. I need to turn to other people to help me. Or do I remember what he's done for me in the past? In that waiting, waiting also means obedience, sacrifice, and burnt offerings. Is what he says in verse nine, you have not, or six, you have not delighted, and you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. But I said, behold, I've come, in the scroll of the book it's written in me. I delight. To do your will, O oh God. Your law is within my heart. In verse six, it talks about having God giving us an open ear. I love like how the Hebrew metaphors are. What the Hebrew says here is, O oh God, you have dug out my ears. Hmm. How many times when we're in the muck in the mire do our ears get clogged up with what's around us? And we cannot hear. Is God always speaking? Yes. Am I always listening? No. And if my ears are clogged up with all of the weight of what I'm dealing with, I cannot hear. And if I cannot hear, how much do I delight in doing the will of God? Not so much. The really cool thing is that this part of, he, of, of Psalms also points us to Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 10 we see these exact words being quoted. Hebrews 10.5 says this, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you've not desired, but a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offering and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's almost an exact quotation of that. You know, one of my favorite verses in the gospel is this, Mark 1.15. Jesus is speaking and he says this, at last the time has come. You know, that set me on like a year search. It's like, what the heck is he meaning at last the time has come? What is it about this time in history that God said it is time, that Jesus came and he said, at last the time has come. And I sense in that such great anticipation, At last, like God was waiting all of this time for this moment to come. And now it has finally come. Now, it's almost like Jesus is saying, now is the time to move. Now is the time. The covenant has now been fulfilled. It's the new covenant. And this is the new covenant. It is God with us. It is God with us. A week ago, we celebrated a little baby coming. And I don't think that we fully understand what that is. It's a baby in a manger. I know we were reading the Bible story on Christmas morning like we usually do. And we have this little flip book that we read out of. And the last, book, the last um, chapter that it talks about is with Jesus coming and the, and the wise men coming to visit him. But they're visiting him in a house. And Chase goes, one of these is wrong. You know, he's looking at our manger scene where there's Jesus and the three wise men and the three shepherds and three sheep. There's a three thing going on there. Um, It's like one of these is wrong. But all we do, I think, with Christmas is that we make it an icon. And we say, oh yes, baby Jesus has come. Christ came. But Christ came to establish covenant. Christ came to be God with us. I was reminded again a couple of weeks ago, That God did not come, Jesus did not come to do away with our pain and our sorrow, but he comes to join us in it. He is God with us in our pain. He is God with us in our sorrow. He is God with us in our questioning, in our sin, in our waiting. You know, so often I think that when we think about the presence of God, we feel like we need to sense him, you know, and it's a cool thing when we do, right? When the presence of God is here, it is an awesome thing when we sense that. But when we don't sense that, it doesn't mean that he's not God with us. Right? God is still with us. It is a choice. When I wake up in the morning, do I say, God is with me. Even when I don't see him. Even when I don't feel him. Even when the things that surround me say that, God, obviously you can't be here because it hurts too much. He is God with us. God with us. You know, as we look into next year, tomorrow actually, um, I invite you to come before God with your hopes and with your prayers and with your desires. You know, for me, and I will be very honest with you, the last year or so, it's been very hard for me to pray. It's been very hard for me to be in the Word and allow God to speak to me. It's one thing to study for my MDiv. It's another thing to allow the Word of God to speak to me. And I don't know if some of you are in that place as well. You know, where you feel like you can't pray because of the anger or the rage that you're feeling. Or maybe the facelessness or the anxiety or maybe the emptiness. How do I turn that into a prayer? You know, but this is exactly what we must do. We need to become present with the unseen real. I love it as the, the mystics put that. With the unseen real, the incarnate Christ the one who is God with us. And when we use our prayers, it oftentimes may sound like the Psalms. I'm complaining, I'm accusing, I'm, I'm resentful, I'm doubtful, I'm full of disbelief. But what it does when I have those conversations, it brings all of my hurt and all of my anger out of hiding. And I bring the real me to the real God. And then we have... A real conversation. My father died unexpectedly and tragically this year. And my brother spoke at his funeral. We all did actually. But the thing that my brother said at the end just stuck with me. Um, In the last two years before he died, my father was coming back to the Lord. And my brother said this. We may take many steps away from God but it is only one step back. God covers every mile of the distance we run from him. You see, Jesus Christ's mission was to come to us in the very midst of our need, of our helplessness and our brokenness. He enters our hardened hearts, our terrorized and fearful hearts, and our broken hearts. And what he does is he does this incredible exchange. Our ruin and our brokenness for his life and his wholeness. He takes our sin. He takes all of our heart and he gives us righteousness. I want to ask you where you are today in all of this. What is it that you need God help with? Where are you in the waiting? Where do you need to have God with you? Where do you need to have God? come in and save you from something is there some slimy pit that you're in some mud and mire that you feel stuck in it happens to all of us at some point in our lives and so we should never be ashamed and embarrassed and i think that we are even when it's our own fault god is still pleased and he comes and he saves us and he does it with such gentleness It's not like he just comes and smacks you along the side of the head and said, "If you would have just listened to me, you wouldn't have been here in the first place." There's such love and such gentleness, such faithfulness, such care that he gives to us. You see, the thing about God that I think we sometimes forget is that he loves to forgive. He loves to restore. And in the middle of it, he is so gentle with that. David ends the psalms with a prayer. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O God. As we come to the communion table, We remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And at the cross, this divinely ordained exchange took place. He was punished so we could be forgiven. He was wounded so that we could be healed. He was made sin so that we could be made righteous. He took our shame and he exchanged it for his glory. He took our rejection. And he has given us his acceptance. So I'd like you just to take a couple of minutes. And just before we open up the table, I just want you to take a couple of minutes before the Lord. And just say, Lord, where is it that you need to meet me? Where is it that I need God with us? Where is it that I need God with me? So let's just take a minute or two in the presence of the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are God with us. We thank you that you are the unseen real. That calls out to the real in us. We thank you that your greatest desire is to restore and to heal. And that is what your table is about. It's about healing and restoration because that's who you are. We thank you, Father, that we can come and partake of this, this bread and this wine as a remembrance, as a place of exchange. My pain for your joy. My hopelessness for your hope. My anxiety for your peace. This is where it happens. And we thank you that you are a God who heals the brokenness within us. You desire us to become unbent. I have no better word for it. Unbent to stand and look at our Creator and become who you created us to be. Unbent, not under the weight of our sin under our guilt, under life, but standing and saying, I want what you have died to give me. And that is fullness in Jesus Christ. So we thank you. We thank you for this table. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new to Cornerstone, we do it a little differently here. Um, There's a table back there. John and Terry will be serving. We rip a piece of bread off of the loaf, and we dip it in the cup. And all who love Jesus, all who know Jesus as their personal Savior, are welcome to join us. The table is open, and you are welcome.